0: Good morning and welcome to uh, our Sunday service and uh, the preaching of God's word here this morning. Merry Christmas, it's that time of year. I wanna say that to you again and uh, really looking forward to our Christmas Eve service uh, this coming Thursday night, uh, 7 p.m. Uh, we uh, will gather again online to do that. And so wanna just make invite you to be a part of that as well. Well, we're uh, jumping into God's word here this morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open them to the book of Ephesians chapter two uh, this, this morning. And uh, we're gonna be looking at uh, a passage of scripture that isn't usually associated with Christmas, but I think you're going to see actually has major, major Christmas themes inside of it. And so we're doing this series called, It's a Boy. And uh, whenever there's a a birth of a little uh, baby born, uh, we get so excited about that. Uh, In some cultures, there's this big celebration. Uh, Oftentimes there's an invitation that's made, Uh, a birth announcement goes out. Uh, we're celebrating the the new life. And at Christmas time, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus And so we're celebrating, uh, it's a boy, Jesus Christ is come. And so we're looking actually in three different parts. Last Sunday, I looked at the idea of celebrating our adoption into the family of God because of Jesus is coming. And uh, this week, we're gonna look at celebrating grace and then Christmas Eve, we're gonna just celebrate Jesus. And uh, I think there's a problem uh, that we don't live as we should because we don't understand grace. And so today, the message is titled, Celebrate Grace. Today, we want to celebrate uh, grace that is given to us through Jesus Christ, and we're gonna, I'm going to explain all that here in just a moment. But first, I want you just to take a moment and just imagine that you receive this Christmas, uh, somebody gives you a gift, and it is the best gift ever. Now, I'm not sure what you think the best gift ever is but let me just suggest to you that this one possibly could. Pretend like you received a small little box and you undid the ribbon and you opened the box and and inside of it was a gold card and it said all access to everything. And in other words you you read read the little note and it says um, if there is anything that you want to do or buy or experience anything in the world, you just present this card and payment will be made in full for that. You think about that wow, I, I could I could go out to eat wherever I wanted to. I could I could take a trip to wherever I wanted to go and and what it says is that the giver, the one who is giving this gift to you is taking care of everything. He, he's paying for everything. so so this is the greatest gift ever because it, Anything that you want, anything that you need, all that you're, you could imagine is now possible because you have this little gold card. Now, you've unwrapped this gift, but, but you, you slip it into your purse or you put it into your wallet and you never use it. You never use it to pay for anything. You pay for your own meals, you pay for your own trips, in fact, you don't go on trips that you could go on. You, you, you are, are paying for everything, even though you have this all-access card. Now, there's one time where you ran out of money. You just didn't have whatever was in your wallet. You were just, just weren't as prepared as you normally do. So you, you use the card one time, but, but then you send money to the giver to reimburse them, to cover it, because, because you're not using the card. I think that in many ways, that describes the Christian life. We've been given an incredible gift and oftentimes live as if we are ignoring it. You say, well, pastor, why would you even suggest that? Why why do you think that? And I would say it's because I know my own self. I know that I am a performance-oriented monster. I, I, I want to perform. I want credit for it. I am built to want to perform. What I think about myself is oftentimes based upon this. It's based upon what I do. And and so let me ask you, you, do you live your life that way? Have you based your value and worth in life based upon performance, what you do? I know that you do. You say, well, wait a second, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, I see how driven people are. I see how driven you are. I see how you work so hard in life to accomplish things, and you get value and worth from it. Now, it's not wrong to work hard, but I see that your identity is shaped by how hard you work. I I see, not just hard work, I see your lack of self-worth. I see that how you think less of yourself than what you actually are, how you've been created and redeemed to be. As a pastor, trust me, I see this all the time. I see maybe how you prop up your worth, how how you try to perform and look good in front of others. You prop yourself up, even though that's not really actually true about you. Again, as a pastor and working with people, I see a lot of that in life. I see that you're chained up by your failures. I see that you're crushed when you miss out on success. I I see all of these things and I come to conclude that we live as spiritual orphans. When we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate last year, last week we talked about celebrating our adoption, we we celebrate that we get to be a part of God's family and we get to live from a different orientation as a result of it. Here at Harvest K.O., we're trying to make disciples who live loved and sent. And and it's interesting because you think, well, wait a second, I I live loved. Do I really have a problem with that? But I would suggest that it's more of a problem than maybe we give first credit to. And so this morning I want us to look at one main idea and and shape really the rest of the, the message around this idea here. Write this down. It's only when I celebrate the gift of grace that I can live as a loved member of God's family. Again, notice the idea of living loved. It's the idea that a believer knows their identity in Jesus Christ. And so they realize, I'm fully forgiven. I'm loved deeply. I'm adopted into the family of God without any performance needing to, be, needing to happen. And I'm somebody who the Father is crazy in love with. See, we begin to describe that and we realize, I don't don't live out of that orientation, out of that position. I don't live loved. Actually, I live far less than that. And that's why we need grace. Now, grace, it it really just simply is a free gift. We're going to define that a little bit further, but you could just write that down right now. Grace is a free gift. It's it's a gift that's given, and you don't have to do anything to receive it or get it or earn it or pay it back in any way. It's freely given. It's a gift that you simply must receive. But when we get this gift, we oftentimes move into two different extremes. On the one side, many times, many of us forget that we've been given this amazing gift. On the other side, we kind of reject it. We never really receive it because we can't believe... I. I don't know, I didn't do anything to earn it. I, I don't know why I'm being given this. And, and, and frankly, I would rather not have it and still work for performance than receive it, acknowledging that I even needed such gift. So we have these two extremes to this idea of grace. We forget it or we can't believe that it's actually existent and we kind of reject it. And, and in the midst of it, it's, it's because grace is so big and so amazing It's actually quite scandalous. It's scandalous because somebody who is the worst of sinners gets the gift. And somebody who has worked hard not to be the worst of sinners gets the same gift as the sinner that was the worst. And we don't really like that, do we? That seems unequal. I've worked hard for something. And you're gonna give the same thing to somebody who needs it even more? So this morning, I want to look at a passage of scripture to help us understand this. Really, it's, it's one of the main passages of scripture about grace. If we're going to celebrate grace, we need Ephesians 2, chapters, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. We'll look at some other scriptures here this morning, but make sure you're there here this morning, and, and we're going to celebrate this morning. It's a boy. Jesus is here. The celebration is beginning for the birth of Jesus Christ. God has given a gift. Think about that. What do you normally do with gifts? When a gift is given to you, what, what's the proper procedure for how to handle it? Well, different cultures do it in different ways. In Asia, you don't open it in front of the person who gave it to you, and Western societies that's actually proper to do that very thing. And so, I know there's different uh, cultural differences, but ultimately, what do you do with a gift? Well, you unwrap the gift, you, you then show the gift to somebody, usually. And there's usually a bit of celebration that happens as a result of it. And so we're going to do that here this morning. We're going to look at the gift of grace, and we're going to unwrap and understand what it is, and then we're just going to display it and show it in a way that that Jesus did. And then ultimately, we're going to celebrate this very thing here this morning. And so number one, write this down here this morning. Number one, unwrap the gift of grace. So we're going to unwrap the gift of grace by looking at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. and, and we're going to try to understand this concept of grace a little bit here this morning. Um, look here number, uh, look here this morning, number one, you need to, or number A, you need to see grace is needed. Look at verses one to three. It says, Why do we need God's grace? We need God's grace because all men and women are by nature spiritually dead and separated from God. We must begin at this basic starting point for of biblical theology. When God looks down from heaven, the whole world looks like a cemetery to Him. All He sees are dead people, and above every corpse is written the words, dead through sin. That, that, that's what these verses are telling us here. But think about that. In what sense are human beings dead, even though we're walking around, breathing, laughing, living, doing things? How is it that we're dead? Well, it says here, because of sin, we are separated from God. We are not able to know God personally, and we can't do anything about that condition. And to make matters even worse, we are dead and we don't even know That we are. That's why we need God's words that even help us unpack that and see that. And so, uh, think about for a second. Just uh, consider if you were to show up at a Christmas party. There's laughter and joy and celebration is going on, and and there's one character in particular, the host of the home, and he's he's just overjoyed and leading the party and just kind of conducting things in the party so well. Everybody's enjoying it because of his involvement in that. But you uh, you, you walk over to get to get a drink, a, a refreshment, and and there's a doctor standing there. You begin to chat with him and, and he points to the host, the man in the middle, who is, who is uh, the life of the party. And, and he, po- you, he points to that man and, and he says he doesn't know it, but he has an incurable disease. He's going to be dead within a week. What would you think of him then? what would you think of that man and what do you what would you make of of his of his antics within that party? he's a dead man and he doesn't even know it and that's really kind of what this scripture is telling us here. God sees this world as this vast graveyard and and, and he sees all of us and and we're dead and and dead and in a hopeless condition we can't just shake somebody and say, get up, Jim, and and by our words, cause them to come to life. We are hopelessly dead, unable to change that condition in, in and of ourselves. This is the human condition. And when God wants to save somebody, he first has to find somebody who is a dead person. That's what he says he's doing here in this verse. So grace is needed. But notice, secondly, or point B here, grace is given. Let's look at verses four to seven. It says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So so we see here that, that grace is received. We discover how grace is communicated to the human heart. Notice here it's not by works. You don't get grace because you work hard and you're, you do good things. Notice, it's not by any religion. It's not because you're so pious and spiritual. Notice, it's, there's nothing that you do to earn this salvation. <coughs> grace saves us through faith and nothing else. So I'm gonna put a phrase up on the screen here and I want you to say it with me. Maybe we'll say it more than once here. And, and really to help us drive in what these verses are trying to show us here. The phrase is this. We believe that salvation is by grace plus nothing and minus nothing. L- let's say that all together right now. Wherever you are, let's say it together. Here we go. We believe that salvation is by grace plus nothing and minus nothing. Do you believe that? That salvation is by grace? That it's a free gift, plus nothing and minus nothing? I think we struggle with this. Actually, I know we do. So there's always something within us that wants to add to God's grace. It's humbling to admit that I can't do something for myself. We feel helpless and worthless. It's humbling to realize I can't do anything to earn good standing with God. I can't woo God in the relationship. I can't change God's mind by anything that I do or say or think, <coughs> and, it, and yet we try to do that all the time. And anytime we add something to grace, we actually subtract from the meaning of what grace is. Grace must be free or it's not grace at all. There is no other kind of grace. There's not grace that you can halfway by. There's only grace that is freely given. Now, there's three key words in this, in this verse. I, I want to just point them out to you here. The words grace, faith, and saved. I, I want you to s- just look again at these verses, and you can see here that grace is the source of our salvation, and that faith is the means to a relationship with God, and that salvation is the result that is given to us grace, faith, and saved. All of it is a gift from God. Even the faith that receives the grace is something that isn't of us. It's part of God's gift that he ignites within us, even a desire to have that faith. So one of the great theologians of, of the past, one of the great reformers, Martin Luther, talked about how our situation is so helpless that salvation must come from another place. It can't come from within us. It has to come from somewhere outside of us. All of that because we are not saved by what we do, but by what Jesus did for us. So Martin Luther, again, he's actually, here's a quote that he says right here. It says, God creates faith in the human heart the same way he created the world. He found nothing and created something. What he's saying and what he's helping us see here is that every part of our salvation is a work of God. From the very first moment of igniting a desire even, and to even see the need that we have, to, to even creating within us a, a, a reaching of receiving by faith, everything that, God, everything that happens in salvation is a work of God. This view is hard for people to accept because it means that we have to give up our goodness, what we think is good, to even be saved. We have to repent of our ways of trying to gain favor with God. And we have to then admit that there's nothing that we do that matters to when it becomes to being forgiven by God. We we can't do anything that matters to earn God's forgiveness for us. It's something that's freely given. Now, that's hard, And yet think about what eternity would be like if everybody was walking around speaking and bragging about how they contributed to their salvation. It would be horrible to spend eternity listening to people brag about that. That would actually probably be more hellish than heaven-like, right? But we live this way even now. We we say what we're saved, but we lived in this way in so many ways. And so I want to show you just in a very practical way how this actually plays out in many of our lives. So I'm going to show you two different cycles, two different four-step cycles that happen here. The first is called the grief cycle. And, And what I want you to see here is that the problem is that we forget that we are adopted into God's family. And so we live as spiritual orphans instead of as children of God. That's what we're trying to address here today, right? Is is that we oftentimes we don't live loved. We live unloved. We lived as orphans and as spiritual orphans. We don't live as children of God. Why do you think that is? Why do we have an easier time operating as orphans than dearly loved children? Some possible answers or that we're obsessed with the world around us and we're just enthralled with what is going on so we don't actually look to the Father. Many times it might be because we're listening to other voices and other influences and and we're letting that drown out truth. But I think the answer is really rooted in this. An orphan has never been loved properly and so they think they must protect and fend for themselves. It's interesting, when you, I, 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 when you look at uh, various elements of, of people who are adopted, one of the issues oftentimes, particularly if, if there was a real trouble when the, when the child was a baby, when they were very young, is something called a reactive attachment disorder. This is a condition where an infant or a young child does not form a secure, healthy emotional bond with his primary caretakers, uh, whoever the parental figures are. Many times these children have trouble managing their uh, emotions. They struggle to form meaningful connections with other people. Uh, They rarely seek signs of showing comfort. They're almost always fearful in in every situation, um, even when there are loving uh, caretakers around them as well. Um, uh, Research shows here, I'm looking at um, at the Cleveland Clinic description here. Um, We see here that uh, many times uh, it's when babies or when young children experience some sort of abuse um, when they've had many different foster care parents and they've spent much time in orphanages with many different adults, not just one primary one, when they're taken away from primary health takers and when they have multiple traumatic losses when they're little. And so we see how, uh, as a child, if, if they're not cared for, if they're not loved properly, particularly when they're young, uh, they have difficulty functioning in a normally, normal family relationship, even when there is loving caretakers that are there in, in those ways. And my suggestion is that we oftentimes are, are like that type of child. We have have this disorder within us as well in a spiritual sense where we forget our position as adopted children of God and and so it causes all sorts of problems. Here's a statement I want you to really think about. When, When we forget our position as adopted children of God, we work for acceptance rather than from acceptance. I'm going to illustrate this with a chart here called the grief cycle. The cycle of grief starts with a need for achievement. Now, now we all need accomplishment. We're all needing to to be involved in activities, but but this is where you begin to need the achievement because it provides your identity. You think that you're less if you don't achieve. You think that you're more if you do achieve. It, It informs number two on the chart here, your identity. Your identity is your sense of significance and value and worth, and and it's dependent upon your ability to achieve and perform in a certain function and and certain fashion. That leads you, because that's your identity, that leads you to act in certain ways. We all act out of our identity. And and so it leads you to, to this drivenness where I must perform, and ultimately, I am my own savior, little s. It's all dependent upon me. And so, so I'm, I work so hard for, for people's affections and for people's admiration and for, for for things that I value in life. I'm so driven for that. It, it drowns out everything else in life because I'm pursuing this. And the reason is because I'm pursuing, number four, acceptance. I'm trying to get to a spot where I accept myself, where others accept me, where, where God even accepts me. And, and when I don't feel that, it causes me to seek to achieve things so that I can build my identity to a spot where you pat me on the back, and but even a pat on the back drives me to do that again over and over because I'm working for acceptance and, and that creates grief within me. Much of the grief comes because we realize that even if we're able to achieve acceptance, it's only temporary and it's fragile. So I have to start the process all over again And the reality is we all live within this grief cycle. When Ephesians says that we were were dead in the trespasses of our sins, this is what a dead person does. This is what dead in their trespasses causes. You live in this cycle. Every single person in this world has experienced or is currently living out a cycle that looks like this. So much so that you look at this and you go, man, I don't even see what's wrong with this. We live in a grief cycle. Here's some symptoms to find out if this is really the way that you live. (coughs) Symptoms include that criticism rocks your sense of worth. If somebody speaks poorly about your achievement or, or something that you've done in particular, it rocks your sense of worth. You're unable to separate who you are from what you do. In other words, like if, you, if the things that you do and are busy about, if those things were taken away, you would have difficulty at believing that you were worthwhile and valuable and important in life. Achievement is only a temporary relief. This is a key indicator. If, if, if you achieve something and then it's like, ah, I gotta go do that again. And the issue many times is that we, we transfer this over even into our relationship with God. And so we do God's work to satisfy ourselves. We want to feel good about ourselves. We need that identity. We need that acceptance. We need God to feel good about us. So we, we give certain amounts and we work in certain ways and, and all of that. It's about us. It's about us trying to work for acceptance rather than from acceptance. Ultimately, our sense of worth and validity comes from work and performance instead of from God's unconditional love for us in Christ Jesus. And this is so dangerous. But there's a different cycle. Notice it's going to go the different direction and it's going to start from a different place. This is called the cycle of grace. Here's a statement I want you to hang on to. Only in Christianity do we get the verdict before the performance in our life. That Christianity is the only place where that happens, where you don't work for a verdict, but the verdict is given, and then you work from that position. So notice the cycle of Greece. It starts not with achievement, but notice it starts with acceptance. It starts with unconditional grace. Ephesians 2, verses four to five talks about it. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, we're doing nothing, we're hopeless, we're dead. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are dearly loved children seated with the Father in heaven because of Christ Jesus. We've done nothing to earn it. It's unconditional grace that has been given to us. It starts with acceptance. We then, number two, move to rest. We rest in Christ's performance. Christ's performance is given to me and Jesus is my savior notice instead of me being my savior Jesus is capital S savior so we see here in Ephesians 4 again he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus verse 6 verse 7 so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus we can rest in, our, in the performance of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. That leads us next to number three, it secures my identity. My sense of significance and calling is out of, a, out of a place where I know that I'm a child of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 helps us with this. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It's saying here your identity is not based on your performance. Your identity is based on the gift and the position that God has given you through Jesus Christ. That's the grace that has been given to you. That's the gift that's been given to you. And when you understand this, you live loved. You live out of this identity. And so that's why the result is walking in good works. Notice Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What we see here is, is that we uh, are not lazy bums, not achieving anything, but instead of being driven for that, we are resting in our position in Christ, and it frees us to be able to do the things that God has called us to do in his priorities. We can bear fruit in loving obedience to what he has called us to, Instead of chasing our own version of that achievement. And listen, in that, we can come back to our acceptance, the unconditional grace of God in that very thing. That's the cycle of grace. That's the gift of grace. Listen, we're trying to understand, we're trying to unwrap this grace so that we understand the fullness of what it is. And when you see the contrast of the cycle of grief and the cycle of grace, you say, am I living, write this down, are you living for acceptance as an orphan or from acceptance as a child of God? Do you understand now what the grace of God actually is? The offer of Christmas is that the gift Is the gift that you can live from acceptance. You no longer have to fight for acceptance as an orphan. But because of the unconditional grace of God, you live from acceptance as a child of God. Listen, this is is the amazing gift that God has given to us. We're unwrapping and seeing this beautiful picture. What will you do with this? Well, before we decide that, let me show you how amazing this gift truly is. We're we're unwrapping the gift. Now we want to show it to others so that they can see it and we can celebrate together here in just a moment. So number two, write this down. Show the gift of grace. We want to show the gift of grace that we've been given. And and I I want you to turn to Luke chapter 3 to see this, because we need to see the picture of how this happened in Jesus' life. We need to see that picture because the reality is I can explain and show and demonstrate and unwrap the gift of grace for you. And it's possible that you you're just you're just kind of laissez faire, just kind of who cares? It doesn't matter. But I think if you see how this gift is given in action in the life of Jesus, it will motivate us to celebrate grace the way that we are supposed to. And so look at Luke chapter three, verse twenty two. And we're going to see actually just a statement at the very end of the time when Jesus was baptized. Now remember, when Jesus was baptized, it was the beginning of his three and a half years of ministry on earth. So this is the beginning of his work on earth, if you will. And notice what happens at the end of the baptism. In verse 22, it says that, that the Spirit descended on him and a voice came from heaven. Notice, read it here. It says this. This is what the voice says. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Now, had Jesus, answer this question here, had Jesus accomplished anything yet in his ministry? The answer is no. He's just at the beginning of his earthly ministry. So, so do you see maybe a little bit of a problem with the statement? Do, do you feel a little bit of a dissonance with what the voice of the father is saying to Jesus, the son, Jesus hasn't done anything yet. So what would you say if you were the father here at this moment? If, if this was your job to, to be the father of Jesus, he's about ready to begin the work of ministry on earth. I think we would say things like work hard, son, don't mess it up, son, (laughs) be wise, son. We, we would say things like, yeah, like that but God says, Jesus, you are fully accepted, you are deeply loved, and it's not based on your performance. He hasn't performed what he was even sent to earth to do yet. And God is already saying to him, you are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. Isn't that an amazing picture? The foundation of Jesus' ministry is his relationship with the Father. He's anchored into the love of the Father. Do you think that that made any difference in Jesus' life? Would that knowledge make any difference in your life? Well, there is a difference. This is a difference making grace. And, and we can see that really in the next event. You remember what happened when Jesus was baptized, like the next major thing that happened in his life afterwards, and you can read it in Luke chapter four here, is that Jesus is taken out and he fasts for 40 days in the desert and, and then Satan shows up and he tempts him. We call this the temptation of Jesus. And, and Satan challenged Jesus to find his identity and worth outside of the love of the father this is in direct contrast to what the father has just told him and so we see here that for the first temptation that Jesus experienced he was experiencing a temptation to say I am what I do he he was tempted to think that his identity came out of his performance Look at chapter 4, verse 3. It says, The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. He says, listen, if your identity is really the Son of God, you need to perform. You need to be, It's based on what you do. And Jesus, because of his love was secure in the Father, was able to avoid the temptation. The second temptation that happened was is that I am what I have. Jesus was tempted by possessions, if, he, if you will. And so look at verses 6 and 7. It says this. I said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for, there has, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to find his identity in possessions in that he could have the kingdoms of the earth in this sense. And Jesus was able to avoid that because he was secure in the love of the Father. He knew he was accepted. He didn't have to work for acceptance. And then the last temptation, we see that Satan is trying to tempt him to say, I am what, I, what others think of me. And the issue is popularity. And we see this in verse 9. It says, and Satan took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of god throw yourself down from here for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone again notice the devil is twisting god's word as he did back in the garden of eden and that he still does to us even today In that, he's tempting Jesus to see see that his worth and value would become because of his popularity. If he threw himself off the temple pinnacle and and he was saved by the angels, surely people would rally around him. But Jesus was secure in the Father's love. He was the beloved Son with whom the Father was well-pleased. He he, he didn't need to work to achieve acceptance from God. He already had that and it changed how he even dealt with the temptations in the the desert. Listen, Satan is going to tempt you and he's gonna try to cause you to doubt the Father's love for you. He's gonna cause you to think that you have to work for acceptance rather than from a place of acceptance. He's going to tempt you to try to achieve and build your identity on those things and to be driven even for good things, like for the church and for God and for mission, and, and listen, he'll use whatever he needs to to get you to think that your acceptance doesn't come from the unconditional grace of God, but rather from something that you have to achieve and do on your own. Do you see the scandalous beauty of this gift of grace? You might not. <laughs> Orphans would be skeptical. They they struggle with trust. They're they're on edge. They, They go, I don't know if I really see and believe these things here. But if you're a child of God, you'll be looking and your heart will be welling within you. Jesus is secure in the love of the Father. He's the beloved Son with whom God is well pleased. And that secures him for even the most difficult of temptations, like it will us as well. So what do we do with this gift of grace? Well, we've unwrapped it and looked at it and understood it. We've now shown it and how the beauty of it and how it worked in Jesus's life and therefore how it can work in ours as well. Now we need to celebrate it. That's what you do with a gift. You unwrap it, you show it to somebody. We celebrate a little bit together. That's what we're doing with grace, the gift of grace. And so number three this morning, write this down, celebrate grace. We need to see here six incredibly important words from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Really, it's the summation of the gospel that we see in these words. We see the words are are this, you were but God through faith. In verse 1, you were. In verse 4, but God. In verse 8, through faith. Those six words sum up really the gospel message. The gospel message is the good news about the gift that's been given to us in grace. And so I want to just show us these things here this morning. The words, you were, describe our true condition apart from God's grace. They describe not only what we used to be, they also describe the current condition of everybody in the world who is not saved. And that condition is truly hopeless. We need grace. The second set of words are, but God, and they tell us how grace works. The the phrase, but God, announces to the the world the greatest rescue uh, mission happened when the Creator took on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and performed the work of salvation for us. And then the last two two words, through faith, in verse 8, explain how we come into contact with God's grace. It is through faith and only through faith. It is not faith plus something that I add, some good works or some good thinking. It's not faith uh, minus some things that the word of God has to say. It's faith alone that brings the blessing of grace to us. You see, we need a right understanding of these six words to understand grace and to see that Jesus did all the work to give you this gift. He put on flesh and lived among us he lived perfectly among us, fulfilling the law in its completion. And so we fulfilled God's need for holiness. But then he died, he, not because he was sinful, but because we needed it. He substituted himself and his, and his death was in our place. But he didn't just die, he rose again. And that he conquered sin and death and hell. And so we can see that we no longer have to be orphans living apart from God because if we put our faith and our belief in Jesus Christ, we get the entrance, we, we are adopted into God's family. Thinking about that, John chapter 1 helps us understand this so clearly. I'm going to mainly focus on John 1, 12, but let me just start in verse uh, verse 5. It's, it says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, And then skip down to verse 9. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will or of flesh, nor of the w- will of man, but of God. Adopted by God is what it's, been, what it's saying here. Look again just at verse 12 for a second. and Let's just take it but phrase by phrase. It says, but to all who received him. Listen, it's so important that you understand that, you, that the way to celebrate God's gift, you, you have to receive it. If you reject the gift, then... then the gift isn't for you, not because God doesn't want you to have the gift, but because you're rejecting it in that way. So receiving it is required. Notice how you receive it is that you believe in his name. You believe in the identity, the name, the identity of who Jesus Christ is, the son of God who put on flesh and dwelt among us perfectly and died in our place and then rose and conquered death and hell. When you put your trust in that, that is how you receive him. And then finally, notice, he gives those who receive him, who believe in his identity, the right to become children of God. He, you, you get to be adopted into his family. You get to live loved. You, you get to live from a place of acceptance instead of for acceptance. Listen, you receive the greatest gift of grace, and, you, and, and in receiving it, you get to be part of God's family. And that's what we're celebrating So how do you find God's grace? Well, I think we have to deal with two things, two obstacles. First, we have to deal with the fact, the obstacle number one, that uh, the thinking that says, I'm too bad to be saved. The good news is that grace means no one is too bad to be saved. I mean, is there any truly bad people listening right now? There's good news. God specializes in saving people, no matter how bad they are. And so you might have some things in your background that you're ashamed to talk about. Don't be afraid. God knows about that, and His grace is greater than sin. There's a second obstacle. It's kind of on the other side. And that's the obstacle that says, I'm too good to need salvation. Now, few people actually say this, and yet many times we live out this. Some people have such a high opinion of themselves that they think they don't need the grace of God. They may even admit that they're sinners, but not admit that they're spiritually dead. They may think that they're sick because of sin, but not truly dead and hopeless because of sin. God's grace cannot help you until you are desperate to receive His gift of grace. And if you think that you're not dead, you're just ah there's some bad things that happen but I'm a good I'm a pretty good person then you're not able to receive God's grace you haven't understood your need for God's grace you're still saying that it's grace plus my my good works my my efforts the things that I try to do the good things the scales tipped enough to good we think and we have such a misjudgment of the of that so we have these obstacles, I'm too bad to be saved or I'm too good to need salvation. How do we find grace? How do we find God's grace? The answer is you just ask for it. John 1:12 says, "For all who receive him who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God." That's all. It's simple. The more you feel you, your need for grace, the better candidate you are to receive it. I mean, just hold open your hands. They're, they're empty hands. You're adding nothing to it. And, and just ask God for grace. He will not turn you away. It's never too late. You're never too bad. There's never a moment where you couldn't simply ask and he would would give it to you. He would give that to you. The word of God says, though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow because he forgives and he redeems. This is the miracle. This is the wonder. This is the scandal and the shock of grace. It's good news for sinners. It's bad news for people who think they don't need it. It's good news for people who realize I can't do it on my own. And then we see it's free, free grace, free grace, free grace. We celebrate it. The way we celebrate it is that we shout it out and we sing it and we tell it to those who need to hear it. We share it with all those around. And above all else, we believe in it for in believing in it, you will be saved. When we celebrate the gift of grace, we can live as a loved member of God's family It's so important to understand our identity, that we're fully forgiven, deeply loved, adopted without performance. I'm somebody that the Father is crazy about. When we get to heaven, there's gonna be no contest to see who was the most deserving of God's grace. After all, we were all dead in sin. That's where we all start. There will only be one contest in heaven. When we look back and see who we were before, when we see the pit from what God is rescuing us from, when we recall how confused that we were, and when we remember how God reached out and dragged us into his family, and how he held us in his hand, and when we see Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us, the only contest will be to see which of us will sing the loudest. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind but now I see. Let's pray. God, we come today and we thank you for your word. Lord, we were blind, but now we see. We were lost, but your word is finding us. God, we we were the wretch that needed the sweet sound of the offer of grace given to us. And so God, we come here today and we admit our need we, we come today and we say, we're, we realize from your word, we're not too bad to be, be not, not have grace given. We're not too good to not need it ourselves. Lord, we come and we admit we are weak. We are unstable. Lord, we're barren and waiting. We're weary of praying. There's moments where we are bitter. Lord, we're so broken and there's so many fears, Lord. Some, some that we can't even speak, they're so deep within us. God, we admit that we're guilty and we hide from you and we try, to, we try to run from you. And Lord, we have nothing. Lord, that's what we realize. We have nothing. But we've been given everything. So Lord, that's why we celebrate. Thank you for the grace, God. Thank you for the free grace. It's amazing grace. God, we, we love that you have come for us who are unfaithful. Lord, we celebrate that Christ is born. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to rightly celebrate now with others. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.